3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of this land. We recognize their unceded sovereignty and any elders past and present. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. Today is the 1st of August, uh, new month, new me. No. Uh, my name's Will, still the same person, and I'm sitting across from Dean. Good morning, everyone. It's a uh, horse's birthday for those of us who have some equine um, relationships. It's always the how 1st of August. How do you mean a horse's birthday? They all just celebrate their birthday on the 1st of August every Aww, year. Oh, no. That's really sweet. Do you think Brumby's out in the wild? They're like... Okay, it is our communal birthday today. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Let's go down to our Ferguson player and get ourselves a character. <laughs> um, but thanks for joining us on Wednesday breakfast. It's uh, yeah, it's heading towards uh, spring, obviously. It and, is. Uh, we've got a pretty jam-packed show for you today. Yeah, we do. Uh, we are going to be starting the show as always with alternative news. Um, who knows what's going to happen during that segment? We'll uh, <laughs> we'll find out what happens when we start talking. But um, at seven twenty, we're going to be speaking to Tony Walker. Who is uh, who has recently written an article in the conversation about the rise of strongman politics, both on the global level and in Australia, and yep. so it'll be interesting to have a conversation around that. Um, and then later on the show, we're speaking to whom? Um, we'll be talking to Councillor Chris Pavlidis, who is the ECCV chairperson. And what happened was that um, there was a recent uh, funding increase for interpreter services in Victoria, mm. and the um, Ethnic Communities Council was sort of welcoming this injection of funding. I think mm. we were speaking last week really about the difficulties that, um, you know, in homelessness, for example, that elderly people are experiencing, mm. and to sort to think yeah. that we've got such a big migrant population uh, that interpreter services are sort of struggling for funding, yeah, it surprises me because mm. I think they've built this nation. And so this is a welcome change. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and the ECCV, Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria, uh, you know, at the forefront of um, leading uh, change and making sure that um, ethnic communities within Melbourne and within Victoria get uh, the best services. Mm. And then at eight fifteen, I think we'll be talking to the Human Rights Law Council. Sorry, yes, that's Centre, right. Adrian yeah. Waters. Adrian Waters on the abortion laws in the NT. Um, there was a new law that was enacted on the first of July, which allowed access to abortion services to people um, not provided at a uh, hospital, but instead at specialist centres. So that sort of widens the availability of abortion services, which. Um, will be really great to talk about. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because I think they had a there was a, a discussion paper that mm. people had to submit to, oh, yeah. and I was reading a few. You know, like they were published obviously with the um, approval of the people who had written in. But there was mm. this. You know, it's 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 quite unique how you can actually publish what people's views were on what's happening in abortion. So um, there was one from a a priest and there was one from a mother and and one from a young girl. and So they Mm. were put into the submission paper. Um, And to have them available sort of brings to light how important this issue is for some people. Right, people's um, personal views. Yeah. Sure, okay. Um, Yeah, and so that'll that'll bring us out to the end of the show. I, I think it might be worth us just very quickly giving you folks at home listening the weather. 
so we're looking at a top of 15 today with a 20% chance of any rain. That is, we're going to start off partly cloudy and there's a sort of 50% chance of showers in the eastern suburbs and a 30% chance elsewhere. Uh, which can, is confusing because I just said 20%. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the Bureau of, Me- Bureau of Meteorology, folks. So, um, they're, they're pretty good. But Normally? I don't know. Yeah. How do you tell the future? <laughs> yeah, that's how, right. How does any of this work? I don't know. It's not going to be very windy, though, which is nice because I'm still mildly traumatized from two Mondays ago. <laughs> Were you wind. one of the people? No, was it Edwin who had a tree fall? I had a tree fall down oh, in my backyard. You? Yeah, I yeah. got it all chopped up. I felt like a grown-up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're lucky you don't have a, a fireplace there. You could have used some of that wood. And yeah, yeah. Not an option at my place. Very small. But anyway, um, so I think, shall we, shall we make a move with alternative news? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Let's get for going. Sure. This is Wednesday Breakfast that you're listening to here on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, we are talking alternative news today, although um, what what really is alternative news? Behind? <laughs> We're just sort of talking about things that are out there and that we think should um, should maybe be talked about in a different way or perhaps are being covered in a way that I find really interesting. And what I find interesting is all of the coverage that had been around Super Saturday and the sort of... Um, uh, Sort of penitent backtracking, can I call it that, from the mainstream media about how big these um, these elections were going to be and how how much of a, a line in the sand they were for either the government or for Bill Shorten's yeah. leadership and that sort of thing. Um, people insisting very ve- vehemently that um, this was going to be a referendum on Bill Shorten's leadership of the Labour Party or on Malcolm Turnbull's leadership of the Liberal Party, um, and how uh, even branding the five by-elections that happened on Saturday as Super Saturday. Yeah, when really, hardly when, when we really only actually cared about maybe two of them, yeah. maybe maybe just the one in yeah. Longman, but I don't know. Um, so the, there were two in um, Perth and Fremantle. There was one... Tassie? Yeah, there was one in Tassie, yeah. that's right. Um, one just north of Brisbane, Longman, and also uh, the one that's just outside of Adelaide. And I don't know any of the names of these electorates, but it turns out it doesn't matter because nothing changed. <laughs> that was well, a Braddon. Braddon, Braddon, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are the two that people were constantly talking about. Braddon and Longman. Longman was the the race between, uh, was it sort of Liberal and Labour, but they were courting Liberals were courting votes from One Nation. Or so that they, they could form yeah. the, the, uh, a government there. Yeah, um, yeah. 
and it's it's quite crazy because there was all talk of, of Labor holding all four seats mm. in its play, mm. um, and I think they were saying that the two in WA, uh, you know, liberals didn't even feel the seat yeah. in Perth. I yeah. think it was. Yeah, that's right. But they're talking about did Malcolm Turnbull secretly win the Super Saturday election or well. not? You know, it's like, well, <laughs> if we don't know by now. You know, yeah. like three days out of it. How, when will we ever know? There's, there was an mm. article in, there, in the news. Yeah. Well, um, the article that I've been reading is um, Super Saturday, the insiders by election scramble. No, the insiders by election scramble. Yeah. It's really hard to get yeah. the emphasis <laughs> right on that. By election, by election. Anyway, uh, it was written by Benoit Campmark in Independent Australia, which is an online outlet of independent journalists. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, uh, Benoit makes the point that, uh, it was really the Labour parties to lose. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of these seats, it was never going to happen because by-elections tend to go against the government anyway, and they were already held by the opposition, um, yeah. which is a point that was made. Um, and Regardless of who's in, who's in power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People, um, there's a tendency that by-elections are used to punish the government, yeah. one that's seen as having strayed away from its original message. Yeah. And, and usually one that's in power. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, and so that that was part of the um part of the the dynamic. Um, also, just the the sort of the unsuccessful sort of insidership that was going on in terms of bringing up um one of the candidates' historical um uh medals. Cha- cha- no charges for 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 violence or something. There was a oh, oh gosh, I don't sound very <laughs> uh, very authoritative, and I'm not. But this is a uh, it's just um just certain sort of machinations in terms of trying to um, uh, paint a dirty picture of one of the candidates seems to have backfired because the community has known this character for quite a long yeah, time and this is yeah. a, a charge from 24 years ago. Um, and, yeah, I think and you I think do the crime, you you pay your time. So mm, within his community, mm. he's probably a respected member who, who made a mistake 24 years ago. Yeah. And now, you know... Um, and I think there was one uh, in Longman. Yeah. Um, the the libs got absolutely canned because apparently they ran a dud candidate who had made a mistake about his military medals, yeah. which is something. That I only know of him as Big Trev. What's his actual name? Uh, Trevor something. Yeah, big, well, hey, it's Queensland. Big Trev will do. You big don't even Trev. Need yeah. Surname. I think if you just walk into the the seat of Longman and ask for Big Trev, they'll point you in the right. Yeah, direction. they'll point you in the right direction. Yeah. But it, 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 and all this stuff comes out in. Mm. It doesn't seem to come out in the federal or the mm. state elections, you know, no sort of dirty tactics and dirty underhanded ways of putting down a candidate. But in the by-election, it seems like it's fair play. Mm. You can just sort of, you know, go out there and find all of this dirt. And I don't that know. We'll just wait and see for, for the upcoming state elections in November and um, <laughs> oh, the, yeah, the federal elections whenever the that moment. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to – something that I find interesting that's outlined in um, the article um, written by Binoy Kampmark uh, was the, the plight of Georgina Downer, poor thing, um, born to rule, yeah. um, coming into her father's old – father Alexander Downer's old seat, seat. the seat of Mayo, um, didn't win. And Alexander, in the aftermath of her defeat, um, Alexander Downer comes out with this, um, a bit of a rant about, um, the supposed attacks on their family, on the Downer family, a, um, a long-standing family of, quote, nation builders, and nation building is in our blood, um, and this is something they should be proud of. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's just, um, just... It's like, a, it's a right. Yeah. 
for, mm. for their family to mm. be in those seats yeah. and to be in that position. Um, yeah, being in politics, yeah. I mean. Yeah, definitely. Just, um, oh, Alexander Downer. I thought he'd <laughs> gone away. Well, he's, uh, isn't he the, isn't he the Counts, Counts, the Australian consulate based in New York at the moment? New no. York? I thought it was London. Well, one of those. I doesn't don't know. We yeah, put him we're one still, of those we're still paying <laughs> for him to sit there and still yeah. kick us while he's away. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Anyway, um, it, it was just a, it's just a funny little interlude in, in a by-election that wasn't hugely, oh, I wouldn't say it wasn't hugely eventful, but it wasn't nearly as close cut as the national poll, the, the polling, um, suggested it would be. That it was sort of suggestions that it might be won by either side, but it turns out it wasn't. It was just a just a by-election, and what happens in by-elections in general happens in these by-elections, and so that's it. Yeah, and yeah. I think it didn't because it didn't happen, and there was no by-elections mm. in Victoria. Mm. The ABC didn't really cover it, cover it that much. Mm. All, all I saw was well, that's that good because it's not really. A, a, I mean, it does have national implica- implications what happens in mm. the seat, but I mean, it doesn't really have an impact on Victorians' lives. Yeah. In yeah. in even the medium term, not even not to ma- to mention the short term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it was. It, I just found it really interesting because I heard about it and we'd mm. spoken about it, and mm. then it, like it was five fifty nine. Uh, the seat of um, Longman has been won by this person. Mm. Then it went into the news, and then in the news, I didn't hear anything about it either. Yeah, until sort of okay. like just before sport. So, um, well, it's would, over now. Yeah, I think I think uh, a point that I heard on. I've, of all places, the Buzz BuzzFeed political um, podcast. Yeah. But anyway, um, they were talking about um, the the one thing this really, really proves is that Section Forty Four, the section under which this um, a lot of the people who were sent to by election were um, ruled as um, ineligible to stand previously, the sec um, the section that shows that if you are either a dual citizen or you're entitled to the the rights of um, protection of another country then you weren't eligible to stand for federal parliament. That is sort of antiquated and should be gotten rid of. Well, there is a, there is a, there is a because move, Because all of those there? people were re-elected. Yeah, well, yeah. 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 Mm. Um, I heard that there was, a, there was a move to rewrite that, that section and make yeah. sure that you can. So mm. it's quite interesting based uh, when you think about our, keep, keep using the word interesting, our history <laughs> of mm. where we all come from. Yeah. <laughs> you mm. know, it's like, well, most of us would have had dual citizenship at some point, so yes. they've let it yeah. go. And um, Yeah, no, like, um, hopefully, mm. hopefully the elected members do their constituents, um, you know, the right, they do the right thing by their mm. constituents. Yeah, I, I guess. Hopefully. <laughs> I guess. Hopefully. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, so what else do we have for... Um, well, well, when I woke up with, um, which I thought was quite interesting, I mean, obviously I've been, uh, most people live in Melbourne, I've lived in Melbourne now for 30 years, woke up this morning that Heritage Victoria was going to announce today that it will accept a nomination for assessment to include Federation Square on the Victoria Heritage Register. What? Uh, so the nomination for the assessment was received on July 20. Now, the Victorian Heritage Register lists and provides legal protection for heritage places and objects that are significant to the history and development of Victoria. I always thought those types of places must have at least been around for, let's say, a minimum of 50 years. Mm. You know, but there are criterias, you know, because there's, there's what, sure. one, two, three, four, five, six, there's seven criterias. Um, and Federation Square was built in 1996. 
So you can look at it and think, well, why would we need to heritage list a building that a lot of Melburnians, when it first was open, really didn't like it? Does it Mm. qualify for some of those criteria? I think we just need to preserve in time Melburnians' hatred of (laughs) Federation Square by preserving Federation Square. But, But to be honest with you, I would say... There's probably the other side where mm. I think a lot of people might be um, trying to protect the, the the area from Apple. Ah, yeah, the the proposed Apple store mm. uh, that was supposed to be ha- happening by the banks of the Berrong Ma. Because what's happened is for the next 60 days, all construction mm. at Federation Square since this nomination is going to stop, mm. which um, impacts also the Melbourne Rail Tunnel that's okay. happening at the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's quite interesting. I think there's a there's a an a sort of an underlying mm. um, plan for that registration, which is really yeah. to stop the construction of a new Apple store. There must be a yes. group out there who yeah. just decided, okay, well, let's do something about it. I haven't yeah. liked what I've seen with what no. the Apple store is going to look like. It's already a commercial space, yeah. definitely, those areas down by the by the water. So maybe it has something to do with, like, Australians or Victor Melbourneans' views of Apple. Yeah, or something like yeah. I wonder why. Um, not not that I'm in favour for of the Apple shop, but I just think it's interesting that like it's already cafes which are you know exorbitantly expensive and not accessible to most Melbournians. Yeah. yeah. Or um, sort of little trinket stores. Um, no, it's really just cafes and restaurants, isn't it? Well, uh, uh, well, there's a, a few displays. Acme. You know, obviously that, yeah, 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 which is still really, yeah, a a profit-driven thing. But Mm. it's quite an unprecedented step, and I think it will have, um, you know, some pretty wide Mm. uh, ramifications in regards to, like, there's all these beautiful buildings around Melbourne that you see developers. Mm. Well, like the there's the Brandon Hotel, the pub that was knocked down three, two or three years ago by a developer. Who oh, just, yeah. yeah, who just went and knocked it down yeah. and was, has, has to be forced really to pay a massive fine. Mm, but you mm. can't replace a 110-year-old building right. after you just go and knock it down. Mm, mm. Um, and the fine that the developer got was minuscule compared to, you know, mm. I, I think the loss mm. of that pub in Carlton and yeah. what it has done for the area. I'd be interested to see what the City of Melbourne pursues in terms of heritage protection now that Sally Cap. Um, famous advocate for the rights of property developers yeah. is, uh, is our Lord Mayor. Um, but yeah, like it, I just, I just thought that that was quite strange. Yeah, a built a building or place that was so new can be put on the heritage register. So I might put my house down on there as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast here on 3CR Community Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Nova Paris, and you're listening to 3CR. Be proud, be strong. You have a smile that brings a tear to my eye. The 2018 Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on the 11th of August at the Brunswick Town Hall. Stalls, books, projects and organisations fighting for a better world, here and abroad. Come for the stalls, stay for the workshops. Topics ranging from Indigenous struggles and decolonisation, climate change, anti-racism, unions, feminism, refugees, Anarchy 101 and so much more. Interested in a stall? Email us on info at amelbournebookfair.org That's info at amelbournebookfair.org Or message us on our Facebook page Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair 2018 A 3CR supporter 
You're listening to 3CR Community Radio Wednesday Breakfast uh, with Will and Dean in the morning, and uh, we're going to be speaking about an article recently published in The Conversation titled Why the World Should Be Worried About the Rise of Strongman Politics. It was written by Professor Tony Walker, who is based at the School of Communication at La Trobe University. Uh, Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Uh, and and good morning from St. Lawrence. I I would imagine not many of your... Our listeners have ever been here. Oh, yeah. Probably, let alone ever heard of it. <laughs> Whereabouts are you? South of Mackay, oh, north, yeah. north of Rockhampton. Oh, gorgeous. It's, it's a little place that's full of history, but sort of like a lot of country towns, shriveling away. Anyway. Mm, like a lot of towns. And we're, we're talking about other sort of greater global trends, trends as well. So there's the, the, the decline of small country towns, but there's also the rise of strongman politics, which is covered by your article. Um, I just wanted to talk about the rise of people like um, Erdogan or Putin or Xi Jinping's sort of cementing hold on power. This is all covered in your article. Can you tell us what is strongman leadership? Well, I I think it's uh, a movement towards uh, more totalitarian rule in the case of uh, of China and uh, in in the case of Russia. Uh, it's, it's, uh, in the case of Erdogan, he's, he's, uh, uh, extended the powers of the presidency. Of course, he's, uh, uh, launched a, a campaign against his political opponents, locked up, locked up journalists. It's, uh, a, a sort of, um, uh, strengthening of, of one man's grip on power. And it's, uh, it's become a bit of a trend, uh, I have to say. Mm, definitely. Uh, we, we noticed the, the rise of the trend very prominently in, in the United States as well with the election of President Donald Trump there. Uh, what's new about this? Um, what, what dramatic change have we seen in the political context where this um, strongman leadership emerges? I mean, we've seen it in the past. Mm. Um, are we right in thinking that there was a decrease in the post-war period and now it's growing again? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely that's the case. Uh, I think we can separate uh, the Trump uh, case somewhat from the others we've just mentioned mm. because of the checks and balances that exist in the American system, although those checks and balances are under extreme pressure uh, because of the way uh, uh, Donald Trump uh, conducts himself. But what all this is is a reflection of the rise of populism, uh, disaffection, uh, by those who feel disadvantaged by uh, uh, the trends of globalization, of course, with the established order, particularly in the United States, but uh, but in Europe as well. And that's provided uh, fertile ground for um, uh, more authoritarian figures, autocratic figures, uh, to uh, to come to the fore. Mm. Uh, uh, Tony, it's Dean here. I mean, um, within the article, you sort of um, suggest that this strongman politics is gravitating... Um, from east to west, and, and you know, you make examples from China to Thailand to Hungary to Italy and England. H- how has this sort of transference occurred? Has it, has it been a domino or, or, or spreading of ideology? Well, uh, you know, as I just said, I think it, it reflects the times we're in. I yeah. don't think it's a contagion or a virus <laughs> spreading from China or the Philippines or uh, other places in, in, in Asia. And, of course, we just had the recent example of the Hun Sen uh, re-election uh, in Cambodia over the weekend. What, what we have in, uh, in Cambodia now, uh, to all intents and purposes, is a one uh, one-person state or one-man state, uh, uh, but 
as I said, I think it, it is a reflection of uh, the rise of populism in Europe. Of course, it, re it reflects uh, an anti-immigrant view, the concern in Europe about uh, an immigrant invasion from North Africa, and that certainly played into uh, the uh, Italian political process where parties of the right have, uh, have emerged. And, uh, and elsewhere in Europe, uh, Angela Merkel, as I mentioned in my piece, is under considerable pressure in Germany, of course, and uh, elsewhere in Europe, in Austria and Hungary, uh, Hungary to name two. Uh, an anti-immigrant uh, um, tendency in those countries has brought uh, parties of the right uh, to the fore. So I think it's a combination of circumstances, uh, some coincidental and some a reflection of the impact of globalisation and, uh, and disaffection with the established institutions and the status quo. And there are obviously, Tony, people who are connecting with these ideologies to make this movement, um, you know, in, in terms of the phenomenon of the, the macho phenomenon. Yeah, just ask that question again. I, I just didn't catch that question clearly. I, I was saying, you know, there are obviously people who are connecting with most of these ideologies from the, these types of strongman leadership. Oh, well, in, indeed. Uh, and I think... Uh, People are, as I said, uh, very disillusioned with the established order of things. I mean, there's disillusionment in our own country, of course, mm. which uh, explains the Pauline Hanson uh, phenomenon and the drift from the major parties uh, to, the, to the minor parties. If we had a lesson from the Super Saturday by-elections, or one lesson from the Super Saturday by-elections of this weekend just passed, it is uh, the weakness of the mainstream parties and the emergence of, of, uh, of minor parties. Uh, which are, to all intents and purposes, protest parties. So I think it reflects, certainly in, in, uh, w in, in Western democracies, a, a disillusion with the, a disillusionment with the established order. Now, in Russia and China, which you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, I think it's, it's more related to personality, probably. Uh, Putin is, a, is not a unique uh, personality in Russian political history, but he certainly uh, manifests the characteristics of a strong authoritarian figure who has uh, gradually accumulated power to the point now where he uh, exerts uh, sway over his country. And in the case of Xi Jinping in China, uh, I think historical circumstances are at play there too. He is uh, the strongest, clearly, Chinese leader since uh, Deng Xiaoping, uh, uh, the, the period of Deng Xiaoping, and uh, he's reverting, in a way, to Chinese type. Uh, we've seen uh, a sort of uh, emperor uh, 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 phenomenon there, I think, and uh, um, those are two historical circumstances that are perhaps a bit separate from the other populist trends that are, that are sweeping the world. You did... Um, make reference to the personality around um, uh, authoritarian leaders like Putin. Um, you, you also make reference in your article to the macho phenomenon. Is there a link between patriarchy, between sort of um, masculine leadership and authoritarianism? Well, I haven't thought of it quite, <laughs> quite like that, but uh, since uh, since we're talking about it, uh, it is the case that uh, the 
almost to a man, and we won't say almost to a man and a woman, uh, these are male figures who have asserted themselves in these countries. You mentioned Adwan in, uh, in Turkey, uh, Putin in Russia, uh, Xi Jinping in, in China, uh, uh, Duterte, uh, I hope I get that pronunciation correct, in the Philippines. Uh, and I suppose Trump is, is, is an example to a certain extent to that, or I'd, although I'd like to separate him a bit. But it is the case uh, that these are male autocratic figures. Now, um, you know, if we look back in history, there have been female autocratic figures as well, including uh, uh, Boadicea and others, of course. So um, I'm not sure we can entirely blame the male of the species for this. <laughs> well, we do need to look back to sort of Roman Roman England to find an autocratic female figure, it sounds like. Um, but uh, how, how has fake news... We, we were talking about um, Trump, and you wanted to separate the, 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 the Trumpian figure from from this conversation, but we, we are introduced, at least with the, the history of Trump's election, to the idea of fake news in these modern times. How has fake news fostered this rise of authoritarianism? Well... Well, I, I think it is, it is certainly a factor, and it's certainly uh, manipulated to a certain extent. Part of the reason I wrote the article was, uh, was because of Barack Obama's Nelson Mandela lecture uh, in South Africa, where he talked about this uh, phenomenon, the rise of the strongman. Uh, but I think more importantly, in that lecture, he talked about fake news and uh, uh, the, the, the tendency of politicians uh, to fabricate and, frankly, to lie and then to lie some more. And I do think that's, uh, that is a relatively new phenomenon, or at least a, a phenomenon that's been reinforced in, in the recent past. And social media plays a part in that. Of course, it acts as an echo chamber uh, for these lies or fabrications or misrepresentations. And it makes it difficult. It crowds out uh, uh, what I would call the mainstream media or those who believe that it, it, it's, it's, it's desirable that there be an element of, uh, of reality in, in how, we, uh, how we address our various issues and problems. Tony, in, in all the conversations that you've mentioned, didn't hear you once mention Malcolm Turnbull <laughs> in that uh, strongman uh, leadership uh, realm. Well, what does this all mean for Australia? Well, that, that's an interesting question, isn't it? I think uh, we have, uh, leading our two major parties uh, in this country, uh, relatively uh, ineffectual leaders. Uh, we, uh, we don't have uh, a, a, a strong uh, figure, I mean, like, say, a, a Whitlam or a Keating or a, a Hawke uh, or a Malcolm Fraser, or in another way, I suppose, uh, uh, John Howard uh, uh, in, the, in the more recent past. So these uh, leaders of our two major parties are, um, uh, how could I put it, uh, paler shade of grey type figures in the leadership stakes. Um, I suppose that's one of the reasons that Pauline Hanson stands out as she does, because whatever might be said or thought about Pauline Hanson, you couldn't say she represents a paler shade of grey. Uh, so uh, whether it's historical circumstance or it's, it's personality, I'm not sure. But it is the case in this latest period in this country, we have um, rather, uh, what's the word I would use here, um, ineffectual lacking in strong personality type leaders and uh, whether the country's crying out for something like that I'm not sure but it's certainly a factor in this latest period. 
Wonderful. Well, we've been speaking to Professor Tony Walker from the School of Communication at La Trobe and author of Why the World Should Be Worried About the Rise of Strongman Politics, an article recently published in The Conversation. Professor Tony Walker, thank you so much for joining us. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Hello, it's Fiona Scott Norman here, and I would just like to say congratulations. You are doing something very important right now, and do you want to know what it is? You are listening to 3CR. Melbourne's most diverse and fascinating community radio station. And you know why it's important? Because diversity is important. Community is important. Community radio is very, very important. And you are a winner. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. Mr. Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just 30 You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history on sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. I am Gabriel Gatte. 3CR is like a souffle, a challenge to make, but it can just go higher and higher and higher. Support 3CR. You gotta remember nine of the special day for us, fellas. Reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash Beyond the Bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy Night Off! 
And that was Native Tongue by Mojo Juju, new release. Fantastic song by an Australian artist. Um, and we've got some conversation coming up, don't we, Dean? Yes, we do. We do. Um, last year, uh, there was a discussion paper um, called Our Stories, Our Values. Um, and it was really in relation to, you know, uh, some of the work that the ECCV um, do the Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria and they'd made a, a few recommendations roughly a, around eight um, and it was all uh, to do with uh, language service um, provisions and being able to provide um, you know some language services and earlier this year uh, the Multicultural Affairs Minister Robin Scott re- um, announced a significant funding increase for interpreter services in Victoria and to find out a little bit more about the, the impact of that funding, and I guess some of the recommendations that the Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria made, we are joined by the um, Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria Chairperson, Councillor Chris Pavlidis. Good morning, Chris. Oh, good morning, and happy first of the month. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for joining us on 3CR. You're speaking to Will and myself. Um, as I just mentioned, um, you know, the, 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 the discussion paper, Our Stories, Our Voices, it was, you know, quite significant. It was a pretty big document, but you made a few recommendations there, and one of them was, um, that the, the interpretive services and how important it would be for some of the ethnic community members. Can you just sort of, first of all, let our listeners know why that was such a, a, a crucial um, recommendation. Mm, absolutely, Dean. Well, in the state of Victoria, where we pride ourselves as having such a strong, vibrant, and large culturally and linguistically diverse population, you know, we have about I think it's 200 or people representing 200 different countries and speaking, I think, more than 230 languages. I think in 2018, it's incumbent upon all of us in decision-making positions and where we're able to impart a little bit of influence in the way policy um, is uh, is established and then budgets are allocated and therefore programs and services are rolled out to ensure that people, just as a fundamental right, have access to services across the spectrum and have a voice in doing so, so are able to access services and the first step there is recognising um, that if people have a linguistic um, barrier in accessing services or being aware of services, understanding services and very importantly making themselves um, heard, uh, we have to address that um, at a systemic level. So I think... Yeah, go on. Sorry, I can... No, no, and, and, I, and I think that, you know, we talk about interpretive services across a broad spectrum, but your main focus was that whole idea um, around um, that, that Victoria's health services, mm. which is really, really crucial, especially, you know, for Victorians whose first language is not English, who might continue to be left behind by health providers. That's right, um, Dan, and so the strategy, I suppose, has a two-pronged, um, effect. 
that we're trying to address and that uh, the government, I think, has acknowledged and is trying to address in the announcement that was made just recently of the uh, funding boost and the funding injection. So we're looking at service providers in the health sector mm. and saying that, well, in 2018, we understand that it's about only 1% of GPs, so general practitioners, you know, the doctor, when people turn up for an ailment to their GP, it's only about 1% of GPs who actually access or use an interpreting service. So we have, for example, TIS, the Telephone Interpreter Service, uh, and other more formal methods of interpreting where people are actually engaged as professional interpreters. 1% is an extremely low, as you can appreciate, uh, number. And particularly, as I said, when we have such a, a diverse and large culturally and linguistically diverse population in Victoria, health services are paramount, uh, as we understand, across the board. And when people can't have themselves understood uh, and aren't able to, uh, I suppose, have an awareness mm. of the support system that's there in terms of interpreters, that causes a huge gap uh, and a big problem in many respects. Especially in, in delivery. In delivery of health services, mm. absolutely. But but the first step is accessing. So people understanding that there is a medical system out there that is available to them. Then um, uh, understanding uh, how to, uh, first of all, access it. Secondly, to express themselves and, and, you know, be able to communicate what their ailment is, what their issue is. Uh, thirdly, uh, being able to, um, I think, understand their rights um, and communicate that. So also understand what the uh, professional uh, in the health uh, sector is trying to convey to them because when we're talking about health issues, we're talking about serious issues that impact people's lives. So I think, you know, it's without sounding too melodramatic, it's, it's a, a life threat to um, people's uh, everyday existence when they aren't able to understand uh, the general health system. And language, you know, as we appreciate, is uh, it's not just a tool. It's it's a means of survival in many respects. And it's probably something that you hadn't been asked before, but it's uh, that 1% that you're talking about, um, you know, it, it must be, it's a pretty fine line because when people are discussing their health and their ailments and you've got an interpreter service, where does that sort of sit? And what's the framework going to look like in terms of, I guess, privacy? Because what the doctor's probably saying at one end might only necessarily only be, have to be for that person's ear. So you talk about accredited interpreters. What can that look like and how would that sort of look? Yeah. Look, that's a very important point, I think, Dean. And again, in 2018, when we're still grasping and, and struggling with these issues, it's really quite frustrating and alarming. So I'm going to put it in a bit of a context um, say back 40 years ago or whatever, 50 years ago, when I was um, acting as a young interpreter for my Greek-speaking uh, parents um, in the health sector, you know, if they had to go to their appointments and, that, and I would have to go along because interpreting wasn't addressed as a systemic uh, issue then. Mm. Well, you just had to learn English. Pardon? You just had to learn English. Well, you had to learn English, but, you know, the migrant wave of that time, their priority was to work, yeah. um, and there weren't the English uh, facilities available as they are now. But having said that, um, 
I think it's incumbent upon our service providers to recognise that interpreting is a profession, a standalone profession in itself. So with this announcement that Minister Scott made just recently, I think it's trying to address that as well. So it's looking at injecting, and you might have the stats, I suppose, so $21.8 million over four years. Yeah. And in addition, $8.4 million per year to improve the pay and working conditions of uh, interpreters. Yeah. So I think it's trying to lift the status of interpreters and say they're, they're a profession in themselves um, with um, accredited training, uh, qualifications, and need to be uh, dealt with accordingly. So in doing so, uh, I think it's going to raise the awareness and the value of using interpreters within the health system in a way that maybe hasn't been done before. Uh, again, I think it's incumbent upon health service providers. That's the other, um, I think, issue that needs to be addressed uh, to raise their awareness uh, of the interpreter uh, system yeah. and the profession and the service as a tool to enable their work to be a lot more effective with the consumer or with their patients. And I think ideally, just to sort of, um, you know, wrap it up, it's, it's that whole um, having a consistent message too on all government websites and the role and importance of interpreters, being able to access them. You know, it seems like interpreter services get used in other, well, especially border security, border patrol, they've always got interpreter services, but in this instance, um, to, to have have it at 1%, the challenge is obviously getting it to a more uh, reasonable level. What are the next steps, just to sort of wrap, wrap it up, where does the, the, how does the money get allocated and what's what's um, the Multicultural Affairs Minister seeing in the future? Well, I can't speak for him, Dean, but <laughs> from the SUCV's point of view, we certainly want to make sure that there's uh, a an effective uh, sort of community uh, camp awareness campaign yeah. and education around... Uh, a consumer or a patient or an individual's rights to access services, you know, so knowing what their rights are and asking for them uh, so that they're not dependent on their small children or their, you know, um, relatives Relative. who aren't, yeah, who aren't uh, voiced in, in understanding medical terms, jargon, concepts, etc. Uh, so that's the first thing. So getting an awareness campaign happening in the community at the grassroots level so people understand their fundamental rights to accessing these services through uh, the profession, the interpreters. Um, then the other awareness uh, focus needs to be within the health sector, so enabling, I suppose, uh, the health practitioners, professionals to feel more comfortable in using interpreters uh, in order to be able to better service their working relationship with their patient or with their client. That's just a, a given, I think. And again, in 2018, the fact that we're still struggling with that... Mm. <laughs> mm. And I guess I would like to, uh, yeah, recommend this report to policymakers and I guess anyone working in the, in the sort of transcultural health sector mm -hmm. seeking to better understand the use of interpreter services in the health system. Um, we appreciate you joining us on Wednesday breakfasts, Chris, um, and have a good morning. Oh, thank you. You too. Enjoy the sunshine. Thank you. And that was Councillor Chris uh, Pavlidis, who is the Ethnic Communities Council of Victoria chairperson.
I'm Helen Razor, but that's deeply irrelevant. What is relevant is that you're listening to 3CR on, what's that frequency again, dear? 855, I told you, Helen. 855. And what is relevant is that you're not listening to that other crap. So well done. Fight for your mic. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 8377 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. Fight for your mic. You've got to remember, NAIDOC's a special day for us, fellas. As a reminder, we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars. Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's um, about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy NAIDOC! City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues to privatisations and our utility services, to building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City limits. Twenty eighteen marks twenty years since senior traditional owner Yvonne Margarula invited supporters to come to Mirar Country within Kakadu National Park to blockade the proposed Jabaluka uranium mine. Thousands answered the call. The mine was stopped. To commemorate this extraordinary anniversary, Gunjate Me Aboriginal Corporation and the Australian Conservation Foundation have produced a gorgeous commemorative calendar. Standing strong, Jabaluka twenty years is a piece of history you don't want to miss. Order your copy today at mirar.net. That's M-I-R-A-R-R.net. A 3CR supporter. This is Wednesday Breakfast. Back in May, many rejoiced for Ireland as their national referendum passed with 64.1% in favour of a women's choice um, in terms of abortion services. Um, and it's easy to lose yourself in the celebrations for Ireland, but it's easier still to forget that here in Australia, abortion rights still aren't secured for every woman. So um, just a content warning for those listening. We will be speaking generally about abortion rights within Australia for the next 10 minutes. And we have uh, Adrienne w- Walters, um, a senior solicitor from the Human Rights Law Commission, to speak to us about uh, the state of abortion rights in the Northern Territory. Good morning. Uh, good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for joining us here on 3CR 
community breakfast. Uh, so the Human Rights Law Centre has recently published a, an article talking about the impl- implementation on new rules uh, regarding abortion rights in the Northern Territory. Can you give us an idea of what's changed? Yeah, so last year in 2017, the Northern Territory government passed a number of reforms to abortion laws in the NT, and those reforms have been a really positive step forward for the Northern Territory. There have been many women who have been able to access reproductive health care in the Northern Territory that um, possibly wouldn't have been able to in the past or might have had to fly into state. Um, the fear of um, criminal prosecution was removed for most women, but there's still some way to go. So at the moment there's legal uncertainty for women who find themselves having to consider an abortion after 23 weeks of pregnancy, um, and that legal uncertainty um, relates to a, a risk of the doctors of criminal prosecution that still exists. And the other big issue is that the Northern Territory Government needs to um, make sure the laws actually put decision-making in the power of women's hands, um, just like any other medical procedure. And at the moment, that's not happening, and that's plainly unacceptable in 2018. Mm. Can you remind us, who does have the power at the very moment in the Northern Territory? Who's, who, who can make the decision as to whether an abortion can go ahead? So at the moment, the law says that... Um, an abortion can occur in the first 14 weeks of pregnancy if it's appropriate, if a doctor considers it appropriate to do so. And then between 14 and 23 weeks, two doctors need to consider it to be appropriate. And so what this means is that um, in a lot of situations, um, doctors really want to act in their patient's best interest um, and will support their patient to make the best decision for their lives. But by placing decision-making power into a doctor's hands, you're also um, exposing women to the risk that they um, aren't actually given all of the information and um, treatment op- about treatment options that they need if that doctor holds a, um, a moral or a religious objection to abortion. Um, and so it's a situation in which um, a woman should have the power to make the decision about what's right for her body and she should have the right to access all the information that she needs and doctors should be supporting their patients to make their decisions um, and providing them with all of that information but not having the, the ultimate power to say whether a woman's decision is right or wrong. Mm. Now, um, that being said, this we have seen an improvement in um, access to abortion services in the Northern Territory following the enactment of the law that was passed last year. Um, what uh, what further needs we, we've talked about? What further needs to be done, and what what uh, who who needs to um, be in control of the decisions around their own bodies in the Northern Territory? What movements are being made um, to to get these um, these further laws passed? The Northern Territory Government committed to reviewing the laws in the Northern Territory after 12 months. And so 12 months have passed since the laws were introduced. Um, the Attorney General, Natasha Files, stood in Parliament and at that point acknowledged that the situation for women who find themselves needing an abortion after 23 weeks was of concern and hadn't been properly dealt with in the law reforms last year. Um, at the moment, 
um, a, a doctor can be treated as a criminal for doing what is medically in a patient's best interest, um, where there's a where in the situation where it's a pregnancy after 23 weeks. And what this does is it leaves it leaves women who have been told, for example, that their fetus has a fatal condition and won't survive to birth, in an impossible situation in which they can't access the care that they need in the Northern Territory. It leaves a victim of rape in an impossible situation as well, in which they um, can't access the care that they need in the Northern Territory. And what we have to remember is that it's it's actually rare for a person to need an abortion after 23 weeks of pregnancy. And they're typically required in very distressing and complex circumstances. And the law should support women to make the right decisions for their lives. And it should support doctors to act in the best interests of their patients. And the NT laws fail to do this. And so it's, it's positive that the Northern Territory government is going to review this situation. Um, we understand that they're, they're still committed to reviewing the laws. And we hope that um, what happens is that um, the laws are reformed in a way that is similar to Victoria, where um, a woman sees a doctor and another medical professional is involved and um, they really look at all of the circumstances and um, assist a woman to decide what is in the what is um, the best course of action for her particular circumstances without the fear of criminal prosecution. Yeah. Now, recently we've seen bills enter into politics, both last year's Queensland bill by MP Rob Pine and Maureen Faruqi in New South Wales, but both were either retracted or voted down. Uh, why is it that we see such a sustained refusal to pass these kind of laws? I think um, abortion brings about... There were very strong views in the community about um, when abortion is um, appropriate, but the reality is that consistent polling has shown us that most people in the community support a woman having the right to choose what happens to her body in consultation with her doctor. So while there are some strong um, views that um, don't support this position, the majority of the community does support this position and it's really about um, members of the Queensland Parliament and the New South Wales Parliament listening to their community, listening to what medical professionals say is the best situation for them in terms of making sure they can act in a patient's best interest. And in Queensland and New South Wales, abortion is still in the criminal law um, it's still a, a, a crime to um, pr- procure an abortion at any point of a pregnancy except um, in a range of um, circumstances. And so the situation is one in which the default is that it's a, it's a, um, it's a criminal offence except in certain circumstances. And that's a plainly unacceptable um, situation. Um, it means that um, doctors are um, hesitant and um, fearful about the services that they can provide. It makes it more difficult for women to access the services that they need. Abortion is a a safe um, procedure. The reality is with the exceptions in the criminal law, it's a procedure that is provided, um, you know, every week to women in Queensland and New South Wales. And and it's um, time for the laws to catch up with um, modern-day community values. Adrian, just a final point. Do, um, does that, that, that 
decriminalisation in the NT, is that a, a signal that um, abortion is going to be part of normal healthcare? Is that what you would like to see? Absolutely. It's it's a medical procedure. It's, um, it's a situation in which um, any woman should be able to go to her doctor and receive information about her options and know that she can receive the treatment that she needs without... Um, being without being judged, without fearing um, prosecution, um, without fearing um, stigma, stigma. Um, it, it's it's absolutely a, a situation in which um, you know it, it's a it's, it's women should be able to access the healthcare that they need when they need it, mm. and it's it's discrimination against women um, to have. Um, a situation in which they fear criminal prosecution um, for trying to access the care that they need. We've been speaking to Adrienne Walters, a senior solicitor from the Human Rights Law Commission, who spoke to us about the uh, changes in um, practice in the Northern Territory. Uh, Adrienne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio Wednesday Breakfast. Hello, it's Fiona Scott-Norman here, and I would just like to say congratulations. You are doing something very important right now, and do you want to know what it is? You are listening to 3CR, Melbourne's most diverse and fascinating community radio station. And you know why it's important? Because diversity is important, community is important, community radio is very, very important, and you are a winner. name is Selva Coolidge Elvin and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. So say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being Ah, oh, just quickly, Dementia Australia today joins the rest of the world celebrating World Friendship Day. So that was um, actually a couple of days ago. But a uh, dementia friend is someone who wants to make a positive difference to the lives of people living with dementia through increased awareness and support. So you can go to the National Dementia Helpline on 1800 100 500 or visit dementia.org.au if you want to become a dementia friend and get a certificate and a badge and you can um, you know increase awareness of the impact of uh, dementia in our community but also um, help people who have dementia live um, you know, a life where they, they do have friends outside of their family and carers as well. 
Wonderful. Uh, today on the show, we were speaking to Adrienne Waters, who, Walters, who is a senior solicitor at the Human Rights Law Centre about abortion in the abortion rights in the NT. Uh, earlier in the show, we were speaking to. Well, we spoke um, to Ethnic Communities Council Victoria Chairperson Chris Pavlidis about the uh, recent announcement of significant funding increase for interpreter services, which you know can have a flow-on effect to things like people with dementia. But it's particularly, <laughs> you know, injecting funding to our health services and making sure that people understand um, that they can get interpreting services through mm, there. Absolutely. And then earlier in the show, we spoke to Tony Walker, Professor Tony Walker from La Trobe Uni who wrote an article in The Conversation about uh, the rise of strongman politics, both on the global level and uh, what we see happening here in Australia. And so, yeah, we hope you've enjoyed the show. You are listening to... You're, we're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. Next up <laughs> is Stick Together. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you next week, Godwin. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.